Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is it really going to take to heal ourselves, our communities, and our planet? I'm Alicia Silverstone, and this is The Real Heal. There's something magnificent about the vastness of the oceans, the unimaginable biodiversity, the many ecosystems it sustains, the way it gives us fresh air to breathe by controlling CO2 levels. But what happens when this extraordinary system gets disrupted? In this episode, I sit down with Ali Tabrizi, director of the popular Netflix documentary Seaspiracy. We talk about Ali's transformative experience while filming and how healing our oceans is a critical step in healing ourselves. So without further ado, let's get into the real heal. Hi there, Allie. I am so excited to talk to you today about oceans and all kinds of things on the real heal. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. 
I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. I, your film was so powerful, but I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart because I think you're incredible. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. Thank you so much. It's, it's always incredible to me every time someone says something like that, because as you know, you make a film and you kind of send it off into the universe and then there it lives. And then because it was launched during COVID, we didn't have like an in-person premiere. And so all the interaction has literally been through these kinds of uh, moments of people sort of telling me how they how they viewed it, and so it's it's amazing to hear that the film has sort of achieved its goal in in, in terms of sort of awakening some awareness and an action for the ocean. Yes, I have been um, on this journey for twenty five years or something, and I didn't know so much of what you taught me. I want to start though by talking about how you were just a guy who really was when you were a child, you just loved the ocean. Can you tell us about sort of you as a little a little person who had an interest in this so we can understand where this love came from? Well, I think it starts from growing up by the coast uh, here in the southeast of England. And it's just the place that you go uh, during the summer breaks. It's the place that you go after school. It was always just a place that I hung out. You know, I would go skateboarding by the by the ocean on the boulevard, and so it was just always there. And obviously, David Attenborough is a little bit of a legend here in the UK. And you grow up watching his films, and I think previous generation it would be someone like Jacques Cousteau. And I think a lot of the mystery and wonder was born out of the idea that just beyond the horizon, there's this whole incredible world, and it's just beneath the surface, and you can go out there and you can explore it. And these incredible you know, shots of dolphins leaping out the water in slow motion and these coral reefs and this incredible Hans Zimmer music playing in the background. It's just something that just the, the, the adventure was calling me. And so, you know, I really wanted to one day explore the world. I wanted to travel. And as I was entering sort of my late teen years, it was really when I started to see that there was a change in the way that the ocean was being reported. And not only that, the way I was viewing the ocean, it seemed like there was less wildlife, even here in the UK, where there isn't really much at all. And one day, actually just after school, coming back home, there was this huge whale, like this giant whale that washed up on the beach just down the road, basically, from where I lived. And that was the first time I'd actually seen one of these huge giants like that close up. And it felt like I'd been that opportunity to see that wonder that I'd always wanted was kind of stolen away from me because it was it was just laying there dead. And of course, in its stomach was marine debris, you know, plastics and things like that. And so that started to enter my consciousness about how the oceans really were. And I guess before I knew it, I, I over the years, slowly, slowly, I was starting to understand more and more and to the point when I was like, yeah, 21, when I began making this film, really understanding there's a broader picture. So, you know, then going to Japan and then going here and there. And then I guess that's where the sort of... Uh, Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole kind of started. So you really, somewhere along that way, before you went to start making this film, it became clear that you were so passionate about what you were learning that you had to tell the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I understand that you've basically set up a disrupt foundation with the mission to improve the lives of people, animals and the health of ecosystems through their on your ongoing work to ensure a prosperous and thriving planet for current and future generations. I guess why I'm saying that is so that we can help people understand 
your overall mission? That if because I think a lot of people hear the word seaspiracy and they go, I don't want to see that because it's going to make me stop eating fish. Mm. And then I have to say, well, if you're scared of watching it, you really should watch it, right? Because mm. maybe you won't give up eating fish, but maybe you'll learn a bunch of stuff and and have a better understanding of what what you are choosing. But your mission is bigger than just that. And so I would mm. like to seduce people in by having them understand what you're what you're really trying to do here and how it mm. affects all of us, not just fish. The the Netflix documentary reached I mean I don't know how many millions of people it reached, but really there's so much that we couldn't fit into that film. Uh, that we really wanted a, a space where we could explore those stories more and support those grassroots activists and to dive into further research and investigation and, and keep educating the public. And so that's why we set that up. And so this is something that affects all of us, no matter where you are on Earth. The oceans, we are on a blue planet, is providing most of our oxygen, like 85, 90% of our oxygen. And this isn't just about marine wildlife. This is also about people. Every year, about 24,000 uh, fisheries workers die within the fishing industry. Slavery in these fishing vessels, uh, on these fishing boats have been reported in about 47 countries. And in the film, we, we'd explored uh, the slavery that was happening in Thailand, but there's been slavery that's been reported off the coast of European countries. So this is really all over the world where we're witnessing this happen. And one of the reasons for that is that with an ocean, which is being plundered of wildlife, it's now taking longer and longer to catch those fish. And so more fuel is being burned. The ships need more maintenance. And so the only way these captains can really cut down on the cost is on the human labor. And so that's why we've seen this rise in human slavery uh, within the fishing industry as a means of cutting back on the costs. And, and so that's, that's really the mission of Seaspiracy is, you know, we absolutely need to protect wildlife. We absolutely need to protect those ecosystems. But we also need to uh, approach this from a human rights angle as well. And so that's really the mission of what Seaspiracy is about and why we've continued so hard on social media to continue investigating and educating the public. Yeah, that was, I had no idea when I watched about the slaves. That was fascinating. And I can't even imagine. And I wanted to say that when I saw the film, the one little good news about the movie, I guess, if you could say, is that, you know, a lot of these films about animals or about our earth crush you. I would be hysterically bawling at the end of a film. The good news about Seaspiracy, I will say, that while you're speaking about these very sad things, it's not a sad movie. I didn't cry watching your movie. I just learned a lot. Mm. I, I don't know that it's good or bad other than I want to say to people, don't be afraid. You won't be crushed. You'll just learn. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We we didn't want to make a film that was sort of beating people over the head uh, with with something. That all throughout the movie, you know, we, we never, t you know, as a narrator, I never sort of said what people should do. It was very much coming from the people that I was meeting and speaking to, and and so yeah, it was it was striking that balance, you know. And, and there was also so many things that we didn't include in the movie because it would have just been too dense, and um, we just wanted to capture the whole picture and make sure it was easy to follow and it was entertaining and it was also educational. Yeah. You made this quote that I think is so important. Tuna isn't a sandwich filling. It's a wild animal. Many of these species that we're killing and eating are threatened or endangered. It's like going into the African savanna, hunting down a rhino, chopping it up and putting it in a sandwich. We have to ask ourselves the question, is this the species we want to be? Hmm. 
And, you know, you have to kind of see the film to understand the whole context of that. But basically, I always knew that the fish were big fish and that it was that they didn't want their lives to be taken and that it was not a nice thing to watch them suffer when they are taken out of the water. But what I didn't know was that if you choose a fish to eat, that you're really choosing the slaughter of a dolphin, a whale, a shark, and a turtle. That all of these creatures that we're trying to protect and that we love and admire and go look at and love, and we know that many of them are going extinct, that those are the animals that we're killing when you choose tuna sandwich or any fish sandwich. And I think that's really, really powerful, and I didn't understand that. So I'm, I'm so happy to have learned that from you. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge amount of collateral damage. There's a huge number of invisible victims whenever you, you're, you're partaking in part of the seafood industry. You're, you're literally dunking these killing devices, these nets, into the abyss. You can't see what's down there, and you're catching everything. And then you pull it up on the boat, and, okay, you select what you want and what you can sell, and you throw the rest overboard. But what gets thrown overboard is often those whales, those sharks, those dolphins. Even though there are these organizations and systems in place for dolphin safe, when we went to speak to those organizations, they could not guarantee anything. And that they basically admitted that their their labels are useless, which was shocking to me. And so I think it just feeds back into this corruption and this deceit that is so prominent when you're looking at these kinds of labels, which quite frankly don't mean anything. And it's just greenwashing. It's just a marketing term. And the victims at the end of the day are those wildlife, those, those dolphins, those whales. And we've seen those populations crashing all around the world over the last like 50 years on the watch of those sustainability labels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sustainability thing is really, really hard because I think that I was at the farmer's market the other day and I saw a really long line for the sustainable fish. And I just thought, Like maybe at the farmer's market, maybe that person goes out in a tiny boat and collects it. I don't know. I've never talked to the guy because I don't go there to get fish. So, but I would, but I thought this is probably not actually sustainable. And, you know, you have these apps that tell you this fish is more sustainable than that fish. I think Mm. that the organizations have those. And ultimately it's not sustainable at all. Just in the same way that we have this misconception about the sort of small local farm, the same is true with the small local fishing industry. And so in the film, we referenced one, for example, that was in Iceland. And there's a small fishing fleet. I think in a matter of, was it a month, they were catching something like 900 seals. Yeah, again, like 1,000 porpoises and like 5,000 seabirds in just a month of bycatch. And this, again, is a very small scale uh, local Icelandic fishery that is having huge amounts of bycatch. And so that's happening around the world. You know, sustainability is only measured in terms of uh, the sort of human consumption element of it. So let's say we have a certain number of uh, mackerel or a certain number of small fish here, and we say, okay, well, let's take this amount this year, and next year, the idea would be that they replenish themselves. But that's not taking into account that when you remove that portion, you've also removed the food for the dolphins and the whales and the turtles who are now having less food that they can eat. And so sustainability is only really measuring human consumption, not the overall big picture. And so, yeah, for me, sustainable fishing, it's a bit of a myth. It's a huge myth for me.
Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to on Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's talk a little bit about subsidies because I think that people have no idea the fishing industry gets $35 billion in subsidies a year. This is so disgusting. And why? How do they even justify needing that or asking for that? How does that go down? Yeah, so a subsidy for people who don't know much about economics is basically where the government takes taxpayer money and gives it to an industry in order to manipulate the price of a product or service. What we're seeing with the fishing industry is that it's becoming so incredibly expensive to catch fish because you've got these often multi-million dollar fishing vessels who require huge amounts of resources to run them, the fuel, the crew, the maintenance, the fishing licenses, and, and needing to travel internationally. It's dangerous work. And not only that, the, the, the fish are running out. We've already lost 90% of the large fish in our ocean in the last 50 something years. And we're, we've, you know, many shark species are down to like 99%. They've all gone. The ocean is just completely being drained of fish. And so they need to stay at sea far longer to catch anything. And so the government, by giving that money to the fishing industry, can sort of buffer the price of fish down to a sort of affordable rate. What's actually happening now is that many fishing vessels are actually going to catch the subsidies and not to catch the fish. They are only going out to sea to become eligible to get the subsidy, which is really what's keeping them afloat. And so if we were to remove fishing subsidies from the fishing industry, you would probably see more than half of the fishing fleet go out of business overnight. They just wouldn't be able to afford it. And so our governments are taking our taxpayer money giving it to an industry that is set on the slaughter of marine wildlife and the destruction of probably, I would argue, the most important ecosystem on earth and not even being able to show anything for it. Within the EU, many countries are giving tens of millions of euros into the sort of EU fishing subsidies without getting anything back. So some countries are giving millions and getting zero value in terms of fish product back. It's a complete money pit. And it's the same as what's happening with animal agriculture on land. And I would like to see them go as well. 
I think that hearing about subsidies and you explaining it so beautifully, it just makes me think that we don't, there isn't enough awareness about this, that people really just don't understand that it's not sustainable system the government giving so much money to these industries, which essentially are corporate. They're not the little guy. And they do it in the disguise. The argument would be, well, we have to feed the people, so we have to keep these uh, companies afloat. If they would just allow them to disappear and let the little guys do the work, it would be so much better. Allow it to have its true cost. And so how do we get that message out there? How do we spread this more, That subs- what actually subsidies do? And how to stop it. Can we stop it? Mm. So, I mean, we have three messages which are call to actions at the end of the film and that we continue to promote. And that is that we all need to shift towards a plant-based diet as much as possible. And so really that is encapsulated by the word stop. We need to stop uh, partaking in in this industry. The other one is to protect. Uh, we need to protect large areas of the ocean, but we, we need to defund the fishing subsidies. And what people don't realize is that when they go out and they buy that fillet of fish or, or, or the seafood or the prawns or whatever they might be doing, they're actually paying for it twice or three times. So once when they go and pay at the counter, but they've already paid for that in their taxes. Governments are taking taxpayer money and they are handing it in the, in, in the form of $35 billion every year to the fishing industry to artificially manipulate the price of fish to be cheaper because it's actually an incredibly expensive product to try and get to a supermarket shelf. About half of all fishing, especially on the high seas, is completely unprofitable if it weren't for subsidies. The rest of the percentage is just about breaking even. And so if you were to remove those subsidies, you would see most of the fishing fleet return to port and be out of business because it's just simply not an effective, efficient way of producing food. The most efficient is obviously in in plant-based agriculture. And so I think if we were to remove them, you would very quickly see that signal ripple out through the marketplace and people would see actually how luxurious and unattainable these products really are, which are currently being disguised as very, very cheap food uh, that's being sold in McDonald's and school canteens. And really, I think that would incentivize people to shift more towards buying plants instead. I think one of the things that just to help listeners understand why they should care, because maybe they go, I don't care about whales. I don't care about dolphins. I don't care about human rights. I don't care about people being murdered. I don't care about people being slaves on boats. I don't care about any of that. How could you not? But let's say they don't. So then another thing that we have to have them understand is that without the ocean, which we are destroying, we will have no food, that there's no oxygen. Can you explain that a little bit about how urgently we need this to shift, not only because climate change is coming upon us so quickly, but how that is affecting the ocean and your day-to-day? What will it mean if we have no fish in this ocean? What will Mm. it mean? I think coming from a selfish position on this is, it's not a position that I'm used to taking. But I think there's inherently selfish benefits to not having a a planet with a dead ocean. The ocean provides about 85% of the world's oxygen. So that's roughly eight out of every 10 breaths that you're breathing was an exhalation from the ocean. And it's not the water, it's these microscopic uh, phytoplankton in the ocean. Without them, we don't have a planet to live on. Kiss goodbye all your dreams and all your ambitions and everyday life. And one of the major threats to phytoplankton 
is the destruction of the the wildlife in the ocean, the whales, the fish, the turtles, which are actually acting like the gardeners of the ocean who are frequently fertilizing and and mixing up nutrients. And I often wonder the sort of intelligent design argument of whales because they're so genius the way this whole mechanism works. And I love telling the story. Basically, whales, large whales, in order to feed, they need to dive to the dark depths where it's very nutrient dense, but there's no sunlight for it, so no plants can grow. But in order to breathe, they need to return to the surface where there isn't a lot of nutrients, but there is sunlight for those plants to grow. And so basically when a whale dives down deep, it collects all these nutrients in the food it eats. And when it goes to the top, it breathes and it releases those nutrients in the form of manure. And so by doing that every single day, that is keeping us alive. So we need those whales. And we also need the fish who are doing the same thing. So without fish, without whales, we wouldn't have oxygen in our, in our lungs. And so that's, I mean, a pretty obvious reason why we need to protect the ocean, uh, yeah. not to mention all the other sort of incredible things that come from the ocean, the, yes. the sort of tourism and all the rest of it. So that's, that, that would be my main argument, breathe. That was what I was looking for, because I think that it's easy to not understand any of that, to not understand that it's not a... When you choose like, oh, I want to have that fish taco. Yeah, they're really delicious. But what is it going to cost me? What is it going to cost in 10 years? I don't understand how it isn't at the top priority of every mm. living being because it's a real threat. And I just, mm. the industries that thrive and make money off of it continue to tell us that it's, ah, don't worry about it. It's no problem. Ah, don't worry about it. No sperm problem. But it is a really real problem and it's they're going to be faced with it soon. And then what? Like, how will they deal with this? Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. 
and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm thinking about all of what you're saying is so powerful and so I'm just so happy that you're expressing all of this and your film does it so beautifully. And again, you must, must, must watch it. But I'm just thinking to the person who's going, but wait a second, but it's yummy and I need it for my health. 
for your health, the omegas we get from walnuts, we get from seaweed, the food that the animals that these fish are eating. Cut out the middleman, you know? And I have tons of great seaweed recipes in my book, The Kind Diet and The Kind Mama. And um, seaweed is so good for your skin. It's so nourishing and healing. It's a really important thing to add into your life. But we don't need fish to do it. Now, on the yummy section, I just wanted to ask you, aside from all the things that are yummy out there that you can eat that are plant-based, because anybody given one plate of food, if there's two plates of food, one is right here and it causes destruction and it causes all the suffering, but it's yummy. And there's another plate right here that's just as yummy, but it doesn't create any destruction. I think any person would pick the one that doesn't cause destruction. But I, I don't think people are informed about that. So what I wanted to ask you is, what is the yummiest fish substitutes that you have found? Don't give shout outs to like your friend companies. I want to know what is the yummiest, because there's a lot of faux fish, but what is like the ones that you say a meat eater would be impressed by? Man, that's a great question. Okay. Selfish so, question for me. <laughs> so... In the UK, there is a growing number of really excellent fish and chips, which is a very British kind of dish. Yeah, so I battered know about fish it. with chips. A friend of mine uh, who some listeners may be aware of, uh, he's called Earthling Ed. Um, he's a vegan activist from the UK. And I believe he has a restaurant in London called Unity Diner. And in Unity Diner, as well as another one, which is called the No Catch Co., which is now on the seafront in, in Brighton, they're selling incredible vegan fish and chips. So that's an incredible one. But, and I think, I, I don't know what, what it's based. It might be tofu, but they've done something really special with it. And it's really incredible. And also there are a lot of incredible uh, vegan battered prawns and uh, tuna and th- there's so many alternatives. And I think what's exciting about this space in particular is because it's, they're the newest ones. You know, we've had plant-based milks for quite a while, you know, the awful yeah. soy milks from years ago, but now they're really good ones. And there's been like the Beyond Meats and the Impossible Meats come in and the Beyond, the, the sort of chicken substitutes, which are basically the same. Uh, they taste the same. With seafood, it's only just starting to come in. Yeah. Um, and what was exciting was that when the film was released, just a matter of weeks later, a vegan tuna company uh, had secured something like 26 million in investment off the back of, I think, the hype of the film. And so that's really exciting to see that this is a new emergence, emerging space in the sort of plant-based food sector, which is growing really rapidly. But yeah, you, you can't be a good old, even like a whole foods-based vegan sushi. I mean, I love, I love that kind of stuff. You know, you can create uh, banana blossom fish is incredible. I don't know if you've tried that. What's it um, called? Banana blossom. Have you ever tried it? No. You can basically deep fry it and it has the texture, uh, the flaky texture of fish and it's incredible. So th- th- there's a growing, so basically the, the alternatives are out there and they're getting yeah. really, really good. And I think give it another yeah. couple of years and we'll see them exponentially improve. And I think it's going to be really easy for people to transition because like you, you gave that example of like, okay, you have one dish here which causes suffering and the other one which causes negligible suffering or no suffering. Of course, the no-brainer would be to go to the no-suffering, but what if it tasted like cardboard? Now, of course, the masses aren't going to do that. Maybe you will, maybe I will, but most people won't. So I think it's really important that those companies that are developing those products do their best to to be as lifelike as possible to the real thing. Because until that happens, it's not going to be a very easy transition for a lot of people. 
Yeah. And so again, I want everyone to come as far on this journey as they can and to not be dissuaded because they can't do it all the way. I think that's Mm. the key. I'm willing to do this all the way. You're willing to do this all the way. But there have been times where I've had oopsie doopsies. And so just to say, just to say that I'd rather someone declare, I'm going to be vegan and I'm going to do the best I can to do this. And every day I'm going to wake up and be vegan. And then, oops, I messed up. Great. Get right back on, back on track. That Mm. kind of a vegan of an oopsie doopsie vegan is way better than nothing at all. Because if we decide to just not do it, then we're not going to make any progress. You know, if we had the majority of people eating mostly plants, it would do overall better than just a few people who are hardcore vegans. So the the more people that can transition in the direction of being plant-based, the better it will be. For some people, it will be an overnight transition. Uh, For others, it might take a couple of weeks. But a lot of it is just forming those new habits and, and understanding, okay, what are the new foods and finding those alternatives. And so what's been really cool is at the beginning, by going when going vegan, it, it did feel like I was giving up a lot of things and those sort of traditional things that I used to eat growing up. And now I've been able to rediscover them and enjoy them again. And it's simply just swapping out the real chicken or the real fish for the plant-based alternative. And I got to say that they're getting really, really good. So, Yeah. And what about the fact that people say that fish don't feel? Mm. I think that's a story we tell ourselves to mm-hmm. justify the way that we treat them. Mm-hmm. I think it, it isn't something that we only do to fish. It's something that happens in times of war and crisis, the dehumanization, the stripping away of any sort of autonomy uh, from the, the victims that might be at the other end of the gun, but the other end of the fork in our case. And I think that is one of the core aspects that we need to really look at compassionately and and actually ask ourselves those questions. Uh, But thankfully, we've now got the science to be able to back that up. There's been huge numbers of experiments and observations. And when you look at the the nervous system of a fish, it detects the same kind of pain that humans do, the the sort of heat, the, the, I forget like the five kinds, but we reflect the same way. So I think there's also a Peter Singer quote who wrote Animal Liberation years ago that says, you know, in all the ways that we find to justify why humans are better than the animals, in our suffering, the animals and us are the same. We suffer the same. I think there's a really interesting area of literature in sort of animal studies or, or the observation of animals, which we weren't able to squeeze into the film, just a little bit about the sentience of fish, which is really mind-blowing. That's something that I really recommend people look into themselves, and it's something that we're going to be putting more effort in to communicating on our Seaspiracy Instagram, because I think it's, it's such an for a long time, we told ourselves that humans were the only animals that use, use tools. And then, of course, Jane Goodall uh, was able to document that apes were doing that as well in the heart of Africa. And now we're finding more and more that more animals are using tools, including fish, who are able to use tools to crack open shells and find food that way. And I think we're actually finding that we're more like animals than we realized all these years that actually yeah. justified our treatment of those animals. We named ourselves human beings kind of aspirationally to be those humane beings. And I don't think we've quite lived up to our title yet. Yeah. So I guess we have to ask ourselves, are we comfortable knowing that our food came from mass murder and pain, <laughs> right? Mm, or, yeah. I mean, does, does that really feel good to us? Does that feel healing? Mm. And I hope the answer is no. There's, there's a response that some people can have to watching a film like Seaspiracy or, or other films in that they they sometimes might want to shy away from it and that you know I don't want to see that I don't want to look at it 
And of yeah. course, if it's not good enough for your eyes, why is it good enough for your stomach? And I think consuming those things, I don't think is just inherently good for us. Um, psychologically, there's a huge amount of effort that goes into the cognitive dissonance of that in order to block out that reality. There's a huge gray area that we're, that we're not looking at. And I, say, I think when we start addressing that, although it may be confrontational at first, it's precisely the area that we do need to look in order to sort of grow as people and to do that healing that we need to do. Uh, and, and to look in those areas that, that we've been avoiding all this time. I think when in therapy and in psychology, it's, it's about looking at those things that we've been avoiding feeling for so long that is, is where the healing really needs to take place. Yeah. Well, if there's anything you else you want to tell me otherwise, I mean, I'm just so grateful that you've been here <laughs> talking to me all this time. No, I appreciate it. This is, uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's, it's, it's really a pleasure uh, to be able to speak about something that I'm passionate about on a platform like yours. You know, Even if we can inspire just a couple of people to sort of look at this further, then I'm happy. And I think if people haven't watched the film already, then, then the film is there. It's available. It's sort of an, an engine that's always going to be on the Netflix platform to, to raise awareness and, and educate and also entertain. It's something to you know, to watch over dinner with a friend, but also we are taking the mission and the journey beyond that. So we've got our social media platforms and that's where, you know, every day or every other day we're putting out, you know, more breaking news, more investigations, uh, you know, videos, carousels and things like that to really keep the conversation alive. Cause it's so important that this isn't just a flash in the pan and that it can, to use a phrase that we so often criticize in the film, be a sustainable, uh, kind of message going forward, you know? Yes. Well, I can't wait to see all that you continue to do. I'm going to follow you on Instagram immediately so that I can be up on what Seaspiracy is doing. And um, just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for what you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. And continue you know, doing what you're doing with this, with this great podcast to inspire healing. Thank you. To dig deeper into this episode's topic and resources, visit thekindlife.com. The Real Heal is an iHeartRadio production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Alicia Silverstone. From iHeartRadio, our managing producer is Lindsay Hoffman. From Frequency Media, Michelle Corey is our executive producer. Jordan Rizieri is our producer. And Imani Leonard and Laura Boyman are our associate producers. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor. And Claire Bidegary Curtis is our mixer and sound designer. This podcast is available on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. 
We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 